Welcome to It's a Sublime Life. Inspiration on living an excellent life and seeing the beauty already in life. You can find It's a Sublime Life on most social media platforms. Just search for It's a Sublime Life. Welcome to It's a Sublime Life. Uh, on today's episode, we have Kat Williams. Um, she's the founder of Stay Calm and Content, which is her company. She's a relationship counselor, coach, writer, and speaker. Uh, she's done a TEDx talk on emotional resilience. Um, she's the author of Stay Calm and Content, uh, no matter what life throws at you. Uh, she's a relate counselor. Um, she's been on BBC Radio, ITV This Morning, and Chat TV, which is a, a Canadian. And today in the podcast, we're going to be talking about a little bit about emotional resilience and relationships. Um, you do work with individuals. I can see you don't work uh, presenting at schools. Um, you do webinars as well. And um, you work with individuals. You work with uh, couples um, yeah. over Skype uh, on and face to face as well. Um, so let's see if we can start with this. I like um, this. You can expect this from you. A welcome, a safe place to yourself without judgmental um, and more able to handle relationships, even with people you don't like. <laughs> wow! Yeah, that's the hardest one. <laughs> and you deal with so many issues actually not just uh, emotional resilience and relationships which we're going to be sort of focused on today you're going to you deal with uh, work issues confusion anxiety depression bereavement um low self-esteem parenting lots of things that you cover um i like this testimonial it says um, i feel completely different after only two sessions with cats that's <laughs> that's good um, if uh, people today, um, that brings up any issues for people today, um, you can talk to Kat for 10 minutes and contact her on her website um, to see if she can help you further. Um, let's see. Oh, your book. I like, I like your book. Stay calm and content no matter what life throws at you. Uh, lots of five-star reviews on uh, Amazon. Uh, the for forward clarion stay calm and content contains enough fresh wisdom to ensure the most readers will come away with valuable new ideas to apply to your own life that's good mm -hmm. uh, and I like this part as well and um, personal short stories highlight how you can control or change how you feel about yourself and how you can positively influence your life and the lives of everyone around you um and it says it's not like a typical self-help book where you need a problem first. You can kind of yeah. this and sort of be better. Yeah, yeah better things. Um, uh, oh, yes. And pe people who find a way to stay calm and content, no matter what life throws at them, all have similar thoughts, behaviors and attributes, which can be learned by anyone. Um, yeah. do, is... Um, 
did you have fun writing this book? How, how did you decide to write a book on what topic and what brought you into this field that you were in at the moment? Yeah, so I suppose that's my story, really. It's really interesting as to where the book came from and what's happened since. And it's about uh, seven years ago now that it came out. So the truth is that, as the readers may not know, but the Stay Calm and Content cover of the book is um, white and red, which looks similar to the Keep Calm and Carry On poster. So that's where the story began. Um, I was looking at the that poster before it became sort of tea towels and mugs and was almost everywhere. As I say, this is sort of a, a while ago, would be about 10 years ago, maybe. I happened to have picked it up somewhere and I put it on my kitchen wall. And we're a military family. So at that point, we'd already been posted to lots of different places, at home and abroad. But at that point, we were up um, in the highlands of Inverness. Um, and my husband was on the front line in Afghanistan with the Black Watch. And my children were two and four or five. And so the poster on my wall that I was looking at, I was not calm. I was going to keep calm carry on. I was going, I, I really saw that even though I'd been a counsellor for quite a while at that point, even though my mum has been a counsellor since I was a child, relationship counsellor. So I sort of felt like I must have some of the tools to cope with whatever life throws at you and that somehow I'd be okay but it really I just had that experience that I think all of us can relate to of going I don't know what to do in this situation I this is maybe beyond what I know what to do so Mm. I was very much thinking how do you keep calm and carry on with this you know Mm. so that's where the book came from because I thought my clients incredible clients have been through huge things different from this but in a similar frightened is when you're very frightened and you just think I don't know what to do and I thought my goodness I'm surrounded by hundreds of fellow military wives like what are they doing which who who is coming through this in some way that I can learn from and also I knew uh, personally and professionally that some wives were compensating or coping with a you know increased alcohol intake and self-medicating with drugs in some way or withdrawing and just sort of sleeping all day you know in less positive ways and I thought heck I don't want that to be me so that's where the book came from as a response to I think I need to find out how to get through a very frightening situation where any minute of the day or night my husband could have been killed or come back wounded or you know traumatized and I thought I can't just exist for seven months yeah. and not know how to how to keep calm and carry on, how to stay calm and content is what I turned that into. And I wasn't allowed to use that phrase. <laughs> it's been copyrighted. So, but I think stay calm and content is, is better anyway. Yeah. It's, I, I suppose it's, it's not just frightening, it's terrified, isn't it? It's completely yeah. terrified. And it's intense. That's really intense. That must be really intense. I mean, I've been through terrifying situations, not exactly that, but it is... Um, um, as, as opposed for me, and I think you posted something like this on um, LinkedIn, um, but it was to do with work, but it could be applied in this situation. And what I did was I thought, right, I need to, I need to have enough sleep. I need to eat properly. Um, I need to exercise. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, to have a firm ground, a base on, on yeah. which I can operate now. Um, yeah. And it became 
all the more important for all of those things to happen. Um, I think, it, yes, it was to do with work that you posted and you, it was sort of a pie shot. Um, pie shot, yeah. And it sort of said what people expect um, to have to do when you want uh, work progress or good work outcomes. It says, you know, big pie chart full of all your time at work. <laughs> and yes. What you actually need to do is, and then the time off, yeah, time off, healthy eating, exercise, and a load of hard work, or something about a third, wasn't it? Not 100% hard work, no. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Exactly. So um, that was a lovely book. It's it's available on on Amazon um, at the moment. Um, uh, Schools, you also go in schools as well. Um, Yeah. I like this testimonial. Uh, Kat provided a witty and original way to approach resilience and mental health. Her talk had an audience of 250 boys captivated uh, with a blend of analysis and diagnosis. Kat's insistence upon the need to question our fears before tackling any steps made her stand out from any other talks that have been given on this topic. Um, To walk into a class following this talk and have 20 Lively 15-year-olds want to discuss the issues is high praise indeed. So you must be... Wow, yeah. <laughs> it's good to go. Well, yeah, I use a metaphor in that one. If you want to sort of understand the, the difference, I think, with what they're talking about there. I really like that review because it focused on... I do focus on challenging the fear because if you talk about, you know, how we've just said... Um, filling up the pie chart sort of thing. Yeah. But if you don't understand kind of why you know so I use the analogy or metaphor of a hot air balloon and probably did with that talk because I like to think of the basket of the hot air balloon is where all the stuff goes that's heavy and that's really I use it to think about what weighs us down in some way so if we don't feel good enough so the truth is negative emotions come from fear so the first thing I had to realize with my husband out in that situation and me feeling all these emotions of sort of frustration um anger in some ways I noticed I would start to just feel out of control and negative I was afraid you know so we've got to figure out what are we afraid of and that's what goes in the basket and it really only boils down to either that we're not good enough in some way or that we're not loved enough like that inner fear says I I don't have the resources to cope with this I'm not good enough to cope with this Mm. and actually that's the first fear that f-e-a-r false evidence appearing real Okay. You know, it's not true that we're not good enough to cope with something. It might be that we need to ask for help. We might need support from other people. We might need some new strategies, but it fundamentally isn't true that we are not enough. But we actually sort of feel inadequate in some way. And when we feel like that and that basket feels really heavy and overwhelming, I then come to the ropes of the balloon that what we tend to do, it's fight or flight response, you see, when we're kind of got that inner kind of chimp, if you might have heard of the chimp paradox. We tend to either take it out on ourselves or take it out on others, kind of escape or attack. And that's like the ropes of this hot air balloon that can tie it to the ground even more. So that's what I saw other people and myself starting to do. If you start to think, you know, get defensive or you say, oh, God, it's all right for the people and they just don't understand. And you say, oh, the children are just driving me crazy. You know, you're actually expressing your fear and anxiety, but you're taking it out on other people and projecting it. Mm. So that doesn't get you anywhere which is then but we so we have to challenge the fears we've got to say does this basket need to be so big like what is it that I'm really afraid of is it really going to happen is it true that I can't cope with whatever I fear even if it does happen 
So in schools, it could be, I'm afraid of being left out. I'm afraid that I'm, you know, my friends don't really like me or that these tests or exams are going to define how I should feel about myself. You know, and I challenge all those fears and say nothing defines how you feel about yourself except you. You know, you have to keep that. I use the kind of, again, analogy of the fire in the balloon to say that's the fire of self-worth. The only way you get that warm air into the hot air balloon and lift up and travel somewhere is by having that fire of self-worth saying, I am always enough, but what brings me oxygen and warm air is what I need to figure out. How do I lift up my self-confidence, self-belief, you know? What do I love? That's where you come into what you said at the exercise, you know, the healthy eating, maybe the music, the hobbies, the interests. Mm -hmm. And we fill up our balloon in our own way, but we must recognize it's got to be way bigger than the basket of fear. Because the basket of fear will weigh us down if it isn't, you know, it'll feel really heavy and all the things I'm not good at, I'm kind of get those out of the basket. Let's, that basket needs to be as small as possible. We've all got our fears all got our insecurities but keep them as small as as you can otherwise you'll never lift it up you know get them out (laughs) I check to I challenge the fears first and say I'm not we don't want to be carrying all these around they don't belong there they're not true yeah yeah (laughs) we need a lift off don't we (laughs) yeah definitely um yeah and and I suppose you sort of done this in response um to it says one in 10 children, age 5 to 16, um, will, in the UK has clinically diagnosable mental health problem. That's big, isn't it? That's, um, yeah. I can, I can imagine it, though, because I, I just think as well, you see, if they were talking about those numbers, um, and I heard sort of an analogy on this, another, um, I think it was a, a Netflix show I was watching um, about obesity, but it can apply here. He says, right, if you've got a, a classroom of 30 um, children and one of them is obese, you could arguably say that um, it is an issue with that child, what that child's eating, that child's parenting, that child's environment, um, you could. But if we're talking about higher numbers, like half, three quarters of that class are obese, is wow. then you need to start looking at the environment that they're in, the the things, the the social construct around them, the. Um, the environment of everyone. What are we bathing people in? You know, um, and yeah, I'm, for children, I'm I'm not so sure that the school structure at the moment, maybe that we've got, is helping. You know, yes, there are exams, but there there's constant sort of pressure to progress fast. And um, you know, I mean, they get outstanding results. I think in reading children's reading at such a young age but are we then yeah missing something else out why why are so many feeling this way i just yes and we can you can people like yourself can come in and help the situation and and treat that but i think we've got to kind of look and prevent it yeah prevention is that and that's my passion with schools that um, in recent years, I've qualified as a strength psychology coach. 
mm-hmm. through Strengthscope. And I'm very passionate about, I think I'm the only person I know of because I am sort of creative and very motivated with children is to take that as young as possible. So people use that in the workplace to focus on what people are instead of what they're not. How do we bring out the best in ourselves and our team, you know, to see the positive. But if you can do that with 10 year olds, and this is just one of the things I might talk about is how about finding this, the unique strengths as young as possible and realizing that, you know, you're naturally creative and that's brilliant, you know, rather than because we use these sort of three circles where the top one would be what you want, you know, or maybe clarify or classify that as success, whatever that means, which is happiness, really, at the end of the day, depending what our happiness means, how you define it. So that would be the top circle. And then if you imagine a circle sort of interweaving with it or crossing over slightly, that would be skills. And that's what the, the school are teaching and testing. They're testing skills that can be learnt. Mm. But the third circle that then overlaps the other two, so that all three of them overlap a little bit in the middle, is the natural strengths. And that's our personality, what makes us who we are, what we're naturally energised by. And once I found out what my seven are, and it's not difficult to do. I do it live with a class. You know, I've done it with year fives and year sixes, which people might know are kind of 10, 11 year olds, plus all the way through secondary schools. Once you find that out, you realize, you know, why you're going to want to do what you do. And they can't be taught. And that's what a lot of employers and the boost in confidence is amazing to see people say, yeah, you know, I'm naturally empathetic or I'm naturally creative, I'm flexible or I'm detailed or I've got good critical thinking skills or good common sense. That's what I bring. And I would do that all day because it energizes me. So it's how you do something, not just what you do. Yeah. And once I explain that, they kind of go, oh, I see. You know, it's not just about what you're tested on. And I often share, again, I love my diagrams, my metaphors, you <laughs> So one of the pictures would be I would draw on the board. I mean, particularly for children, because we're talking about this, but I draw on a board, a big circle, and I would do lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of dots. So just with a pen, you're on the whiteboard, dot, 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 maybe at least a hundred. And then I'll draw a little circle around two of them. And I'll say, you know, what am I trying to show there? And really I'm trying to show if they say anxious about SATs, you know, that they get tested in maths and English at the age of eleven. I say that. Sats is testing two of those dots out of hundreds. Look at what makes you who you are, all these things you're good at and skills and strengths and, yeah. you know, who's the dancer, who's a musician, who can sing, who can draw, who can whatever. And Sats tests two of them. Okay. And yet children will be there anxious thinking that it defines how they should feel about themselves based on how well they do in this, in my mind, awful test <laughs> that shouldn't be, shouldn't be defining children and their measure of success. It's not true it's uh, and it's a shame it's a shame that in schools it's it's just about academia you know what you know there should be more exercise more information on nutrition more information yeah. and there is a lot to be fair the schools I go into are amazing yeah. it's just do the children pick up the message I just do everything I, th- I think teachers and I and everyone we are doing the best we can always can do better to sort of say you know your opinion of yourself is what matters the most and let's talk about that yeah. you know how do you compare yourself to others it's how about win-win how about I'm okay you're okay how about we're equal but different you yeah. know and if we're sort of if these tests pit us against each other and oh you did best in the class you know we've got to sort of mitigate that and say 
there's so many things that make you who you are. But first and foremost, you have to recognize what you are instead of focusing on what you're not. Yeah. You know, and if school isn't getting that right balance, then I still see so many children saying, I can tell you what I'm not, I'm not <laughs> as good as I am, you know, I don't, can't do this. So, mm-hmm. and then it sort of seems sad that it doesn't come in somehow. They don't let it in somehow. They still, we have this negativity bias, which is what I will share with them a lot, a little video that explains it. That says, throughout evolution, the fact that we're still here is that our ancestors going way, 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 generations back survived. They avoided, you know, the, the saber-toothed tiger or the, or the tribe that came with their spears, you know, which means we have a negativity bias. We will naturally notice what we should be worrying about. And we're not very good at saying, like, you notice the basket instead of the big hot air balloon, as I put it. You'll focus yeah. on the basket and what you're not and what weighs you down. But we need, it says statistically, we need at least five things to outweigh. One negative needs five positives to outweigh it yeah otherwise we just think the day's been awful because one thing went wrong you know um well yeah I mean that's air balloon <laughs> that is yeah amazing. definitely <laughs> um you do I mentioned you do uh, webinars uh, as well that that's but they're generally for workplaces as well and Again, you build positive relationships, particularly with difficult individuals. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> um, I like this one, and it, and it kind of now feeds into um, talking about relationships, going a bit deeper mm. into relationships. Um, you, you've got um, an article on how to help someone who's struggling. Uh, and I quite like it. You, do you want to guide us through it there's one particular well it's the end bit that I love and that question you get to at, at the end um yeah you, remind me <laughs> uh, you, um, and the first one is use the word uh use the word confidence and you're talking about um your um the fret. I think you've got two articles actually that cover this um but uh, the the first one is you're talking about a friend and how to help a friend um, and use the word confidence. And the first question is, how confident are you feeling about friendships at the moment? For example? Yeah. Mm. Um, and then you go on to say, uh, use scaling questions. Um, yeah, that means not 10. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how much do you like? whatever it is at the moment, just so you can get an insight into what they're thinking. Um, and it says, how, how much do you, did you used to like it? What has made you lower, you think? Um, mm. And this will provide insight. Um, and then like, there's a finale. Do you want us to like, say the finale about um, shielding them, pushing them, instead of shielding and pushing? Oh, yeah, stand side by side. Yeah, so again, it's a little um, a little analogy, or I want to put it that often if we want to help someone and we're worried about them, we'll naturally either try and shield them from something, which is sort of trying to step in front of them and snowplow. I mean, it, it, often people talk about it in terms of parenting. They say a snowplow parent will try and, you know, remove the obstacle, basically, by standing in front of the child and say, don't worry, don't worry, I'll handle it, you know, you step. But really, it sends the message of you can't cope with this. 
Uh, you need mummy to take care of it. And of course, if they're very little, then of course we have to be removing obstacles. But the point is we might carry on doing that. And the person we're actually trying to help and having the message, I can't handle this. Mm. You know, I'm, it, dis, it disempowers them. And then the opposite one is you might sort of stand behind and kind of prod the person in the back, metaphorically going, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I did this. My friend did that. Why don't you try this one? And again, the person you want to help. And I'm thinking of my son here. So I think the example in that article I was actually sharing with my 11-year-old son, he was at that point, and he was struggling with maths. You know, I could have I could have snowplowed and gone in, right, I'll speak to the teacher about maybe she's not helping you enough. In the snake, you know, don't do that. <laughs> you know, or I could have done, well, maybe not trying hard enough. You know, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And like, ouch, again, you know, you're just going to feel mm. prodded. So I was trying to say the stand by side approach is okay, how out of 10 do you feel about let's just keep it as maths? And he said, oh, six, you know, how did you used to feel? Well, I used to feel eight or nine. Okay. Can you say a little bit about what you think? has changed that. I don't know. You know, I'm wanting to empower him to figure out what's going on. And then together, my favorite question which you could explore is to say, how can I be most helpful? So the most empowering question is what I am right here. I'm side by side. I will do anything I can to support you, but you've got this. You know, you are you. You will be able to figure out what you think is most helpful so that you can get back to feeling confident or able to cope with whatever it is. And that's the part where really listening comes in. And even if they don't know the answer, it's kind of saying, I'm right here until you know the answer. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm not going to say, you know, you might need to suggest a few things. So I think I said, um, I think I gave some options. Like, and what actually happened was that my uh, mother-in-law is a maths teacher, a retired maths teacher. So one of the options we looked at is, well, grandma might be able to come around and support you a little bit. Would you? Would that be helpful with your confidence? Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. I said, well, grandma would love that. So she still comes <laughs> weekly. And now he's 13, he's year eight. But we listened, you know, and I, I didn't just say, yeah, so that's what I feel is important. Let have that conversation. Yeah. I, I just, I love that question. What would be most helpful? You know, And really, honestly, that, that came from me realizing that nobody had asked me that question. So if I thought, would it be good, yeah. How, you know, how often are we really asked that question? I hope people are. And how often have I really asked that question until I realized this? I thought, oh, goodness me, I'm just as guilty as anyone else of going, why don't you do this and try that? Or, you know, and, and actually it takes quite a lot of courage. I mean, I, I talk about a relationship arch with relationship, that we're side by side and, and it can take a lot of courage to sort of say, I'm okay, you're okay, I'm here for you, but I'm not going to let my own fear, my own anxiety, transfer it to needing to help you no matter, how, no matter what. I have to be sort of confident enough in myself to say, I can, I can be here, but I don't have to take over. Yeah, you know, so and that takes quite a lot of self insight. But yes, when when I realised was going through that difficult experience um, with my husband away, and I sort of realised that I was saying yes to everybody's helpful offers because you sort of have to. If people say, "Shall I do this? Shall I do that?" and you're in a vulnerable situation, you sort of say yes because what other choice do you have? You don't you don't really want to say. Actually, this would be more helpful. Well, because if you say actually this would be more helpful, you worry that they're either going to say 
oh, well, I can't do that. Or, oh, well, I thought you'd be grateful for something, you know, or not, hopefully they wouldn't. But, you know, you're, you're in a vulnerable position. You don't want yeah. to kind of, you're not being asked the question, how can I be most helpful? You're being sort of asked, is this helpful? So you say, oh, yes, thank you. But actually the yeah. truth is, what would be more helpful? But they're not asking that often. Yeah. So I'm sort of asking anyone out there, what I try to do is, if someone is vulnerable, say, you know, I'm right here. I'll do anything I can. If I can't do it, I will say, if, you know, I, but you have permission to tell me what you think would be most helpful. Mm-hmm. And if I can't do it, I'll do my best or we'll find someone else who can help you in that way. Yes. You know, yeah. But you have permission to say, because I would have loved to have said, you know, what would be most helpful is if, I don't know, come and just be with me. I'm lonely. I'm scared. I'm sad. Come and visit, you know, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And that's nice, isn't it? That's also a nice thing to to say what you've just said there um, uh, about, you know, you can you can tell me whatever. Um, I might not be able to do that, but I, I will yeah. Yeah. do my, And then that relieves the, the guilt of the yes. other person exactly what they need. Because yeah. yeah. often the reason you don't say is because you're thinking, I don't want to put that pressure on that you have to then fulfill this need. Yeah. So we don't say what the need really is because we're thinking, but I can't ask that of you. And yeah. a really good friend or family member would be saying, ask it anyway, and then we'll figure out how to meet that need. And if it can't be me, I will be honest. You know, because, again, we want to support each other. We don't want to, if you think about this arch, I often say in healthy relationships, we're not, you've got to have a healthy distance. You're not saying I need to lean on you completely because, and then there'll be no space between the pillars of the arch. You know, you have to have a sort of a healthy distance and support each other as much as possible whilst also being a separate person, yeah. you know, and also know that I like to think of a sort of, if people are imagining um, a big, tall aqueduct kind of thing with these beautiful big arches and big pillars, mm-hmm. I think we all have multiple relationships. You know, we're not just asking everything of one person, even if they are who we're married to or perhaps you know we're still we've got more relationships than that and we need maybe different things from different people and that's okay and we offer things to different people but we're all in this together you know I like we're all making this beautiful bridge you know from one place to another together and we rely on each other and that's you know yeah that's really nice so let's go deeper into relationships so in in relationships, um, I suppose what there's a big question of what makes a good relationship. Uh, sorry, what makes a good relationship? And um, even when there's no particular problem there, what can make it better? Um, uh, right. So even when there's no, I would say. It always comes down to sort of how we feel about ourselves. Are we our best self and are we bringing out the best in ourselves and each other? So the place to begin is always sort of self-awareness, I guess. And one thing I do think about is about our um, six sort of emotional needs. So say somebody's thinking, I think things are fine, but maybe there's something I'm not quite sure why I don't feel completely at my best so they'd come to that scaling question again I might say how are you feeling about yourself out of 10 mm-hmm. and about the relationship or something so one thing I might explore is the six human needs and the first one is certainty and comfort so the first thing we need as humans is 
to feel secure and sort of safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes that might be fundamentally, actually, that can be trust in relationships, thinking about, you know, do I feel completely sure and, and certain and safe? Has there been emotional wounds in the past that keep resurfacing? And actually, I think there's some things we need to talk about because I've got questions about, you know, the trust, really. So that might be the first place to start. If that one is completely fine and you are completely trusting and then it might be the next one, which is variety. Now, actually, you can become quite bored if you've got certainty and comfort, but no variety and interest. Then it could be, are we sharing enough interest? Do we need to find something different? Like either just for myself or both of us, you know, what might bring us a bit more variety and interest? Um after that, it's about that love and connection. Well, not after that. This can be obviously very important as well. But how connected and loved do we feel? And then, again, to share with your viewers, there's the five love languages, not to get diverted, but their touch. Um, I know. So you might speak different emotional languages in terms of your connection. So one person might be very words. It matters what you say. And you might come from a family where you said, I love you a lot or, you know, you're doing really well. Someone else might never have heard that. It's not something their family didn't say it all the time. So it's quite difficult for them to communicate in that way. But the partner is too. You do, you are really connected to each other, but you're speaking slightly different languages because the other partner might be more touchy. They share love through hugs and intimacy. Another one will be gifts. You know, some people are very, they might not be expensive, but once they get that little thoughtful gift, that's it. That makes me feel loved and valued. Yeah. And then what the acts of service would be my husband's, you know, if I make him a cup of tea, just that kind of, would you like a cup of tea? It, it's not just a cup of tea. It says, you know, I care about you and thinking of you. It's a little act of love. It, yeah. See what I mean? Because it's an act of service. It's saying I've done this for you. Yeah. So, and that would be his. So it's not so much you can say I love you, but if you don't even make me a cup of tea, then you don't love me. You know, <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah. And then another final one would be quality time. So some people out of all of those, it would be time, you know, and that would really be mine. It would be what, how, how we're spending time together. Yeah. That's what matters most to me. You know, it makes me feel most loved when we're time together. So that's that. And then go back to the needs. So that would be the love and connection. How connected do we feel? Are we speaking the same language? And then final three needs are, are growth. So again, is one person or are you and your relationship feeling sort of stagnant in some way? You're not really growing. Do you feel significant? Again, that could be in your working life, your personal life. And then finally, it's contribution. So they're the sort of six. I think it's certainty, variety, love and connection, um, significance, growth and contribution. So those are the six emotional needs and trying to figure out how do I feel out of 10, you know, based on those. <laughs> okay. Okay. And and. And that's um, kind of one of the things that looking at, at good relationships. Um, when I've asked, so uh, another person on the show is, is um, a sleep expert. So I, I'll often ask, you know, out there, is there any questions on sleep? And I had floods of them on sleep. When I asked about relationships, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> Nothing. And I just wonder, is there, what is that? Is that a reluctance for people to ask help about relationships? Um, a, I don't know, loyal, maybe loyalty to other people that they have relationships with that they don't want to 
ask a question or is it shame that one or more of their relationships are not really as good as they might be? Um, I don't know. So I think I think for a lot of people, I think it's a difficult topic. And for actually, I would include me and myself with that. And I, I'm struggling to find, um, I don't know, questions of maybe specific scenarios because I think, oh, that's just, you know, yeah. showing me up or, or whatever. <laughs> um, so, I will have heard everything if it makes you feel any better. So, no, though, you know, certainly... Maybe it's that behind closed doors, the thing, or I don't know, that maybe you said when you said shame, um, I don't know, is it that we don't want to let people into how we feel sometimes or the yeah. doubts and fears and we think everyone else's relationships might be okay because that's what you see. Yeah. And maybe people don't don't say a lot, so it's hard to... To think, you think often with me, it's it's that sort of inner little voice that says, "Is it just me?" You know, maybe it's just me, mm-hmm. and of course, it never is. Yeah. But maybe there's one of those going on in relationships. Or, yeah. Um. So now, sometimes you can, if you have a difficult person or someone you don't like, um, sometimes you can just um walk away. Um, and not have involvement in that per- with that person, um, and other times it's not so easy. Like your, it's your work colleague, um, and it's not, and it's not so easy to get another job or whatnot. Um, how um, how do you tackle that one? Because it's really difficult. Because I did, and um, I did actually speak to someone who said their friend. Um, uh, oh, let me think which which one this was now. Sometime at work. Yeah, so this this friend had someone who they worked with that had an issue, I think, with um, depression. She was taking on some of her workload. Um, it then got too much for her and she left a job. So and there's, I suppose there's, there's various examples where a work colleague or someone that you work with is difficult, but you've got to see them every day. Um, what would you suggest, what, where would you start from or what would you suggest in that scenario? Would it be actually make steps towards leaving your job or ultimately find, have that as your ultimate get out but what would you do meantime or what would you try yeah it can be very very difficult I mean I mean the, my first thought is it's to disentangle somehow possibly by going to speak to a counsel or someone you know what's your stuff versus their stuff because there's something called projection you know are they and personalization. So if they're kind of projecting their own fears or insecurities or, you know, however, however you put them onto you, and then yours actually taking them personally and sort of taking them as your own, then that's trying to disentangle, you know, is this really my stuff or is it theirs? You know, there would be that first going on of trying to, and then, you know, we're not, so I actually talk about a fiery scenario with relationships and the first one's fear, you know, figuring out what are you really afraid of? 
the I is I'm okay, you're okay. So ideally, you're trying to get to the situation of um, both equal but different. Um, the E is expectations. So are their expectations of you unrealistic or the other way around? You know, if it is a colleague, they should be this, they should be that, they shouldn't be this. Is that realistic? Are they doing that to you? Then R is responsibility, figuring out what are you responsible for and what are you not? You know, and that is important in relationships trying to say, actually, I'm taking more responsibility than I should here. This is not my responsibility. They're responsible for their behavior. They're responsible for how they feel about themselves. We all have to be responsible for our behavior and how we feel and, you know, our emotions. Nobody can make you feel anything without your consent and all of that. But obviously, there is this responsibility of how we interact with each other. And then finally, the why of fiery is your communication. And that is once you sort of thought through all of those things and you figured out I think this is what's going on how do I decide to communicate you know do I need to ask some questions to find out some more that would be listening more you know if I listen more and find out a little bit more maybe it's going to change my perspective do I need to be more positive in my communication or like you say when I've tried all of that is this a relationship that having thought all of that through, taking responsibility, check my expectations, check my fears, I'm okay, you're okay, all the rest of it, actually, this is toxic, you know, potentially. And and it's time to end this relationship or leave this job or whatever it might be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes it comes to that ultimate. <laughs> yeah, and that is something, you know, if the viewers are interested I do have that as a kind of a checklist of sort of a series of questions okay. you know think about this think that's the F-I-E-R-Y and it's just tried and designed to be a bit of a helpful in any relationship scenario you could go through those and just little trigger questions to go oh that's a point um, okay that's true I haven't thought about what my expectations are and whether they're fair and what are their expectations of me and often labels as well you know with relationships they're all a series of labels. If you think about it, it's just mother, daughter, husband, wife, colleague, colleague, friend. You know, there's actually sort of expectations attached to labels. Have we checked out if they're the same? Yeah. You know, you're my boss, you should, or you're you know, whatever it might be, or you're my sister. I can't believe you didn't do this. And you're kind of, oh, I didn't realize that was your version of what a sister must do. You know, have you checked it out? So we can get really kind of I don't know embroiled in negative relationships when we haven't checked out what we mean by that label and what we expect yeah yeah, yeah. okay uh the other thing for me is relationships I'm a, a busy working mom and I I I have so little time and um, and the most important relationships to me are the ones with my children. So in my little free time that I've got, I can kind of spend time with them. But it does mean that other friendships, other relationships just uh, are put to one side. Um, and I, did, I think, I mean, I, I, I quite readily you know that I'm at this stage in my life I I don't have time for other relationships um that much but I, I it does sort of throw up a few things for me you know um 
I have friends, for example, I have um, friends in London um, who are probably just, I don't know, communicate via social media, you know, and maybe ring once a year. Um, I have other friends around where I live, um, but I, I just, I do sometimes think, what a shame, what a shame that I don't have time for these other friendships. Mm. And I suppose, what would you say, I don't know, what would you say to me being the person with no time? What would you say to other people who are expecting more from me, um, more time from me in their relationships with me? Um, the guilt factor, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I can't <laughs> do every week or speak to you every week or, you know, what, what advice might you have there? Well, first of all, I say I'm with you. You know, it, it's very hard. Um, and I think because, again, speaking personally here for a second, really, is that as the children change ages, as we change ages, we're all a slightly different version of ourselves each day. So it's really only about my sort of phrase at the moment, sort of one day at a time. You know, we can only really sort of take note of those feelings oh, there is a bit of guilt there, or oh, there is a bit of sadness there that I haven't reached that person. Oh, you know, and just try and um, check out our expectations as well, you know, and our motivations for things, I suppose. Am I, is the guilt looming large today and I'm giving my children all of my attention because, because why? What is my driver with that, you know? And But this goes quite deep in a way because we'll be judging ourselves on criteria that come from a variety of sources. Does it come from society that, you know, we have, I talk about um, filters, kind of cognitive behavioral therapy, if you've heard of that, you know, there'll be like musts and shoulds and sort of quite black and white thinking and all these things that might be going on that color our decisions um, and how we think we, we must be living. So it's sort of trying to figure all of that out and say, what's, the clothes motivation me I can get you know and actually if I know I'm doing my best all we have to do is say you know at the end of the day we come to my name cat and I'm doing my best and today this is what feels right to me and I don't have to apologize to, by about that I just might need to communicate that that that's just how it, it feels that this is the most important thing and that's the best I can do you know yeah. And what I share with people as well is our decisions come down to kind of two things, like love or fear. I do my hand like that. <laughs> because, so it's again trying to figure out, is my behavior driven by fear? So generally, I would say, try and try and avoid that it being. So if you were staying in touch with friends and actually sort of thought, I think I'm just doing it out of fear, really, and expectation and not because it's really what I really want to do, you know, whereas if it is actually love and you know what? I love that we do this together or that we get to, I get together with some military wives kind of once a year or twice a year, you know, and, and it's not for fear, it's for love because we love to what that shared, you know, experiences have been. So it's just checking that out for ourselves. And again, it could work the other way. Are we, is our parenting driven by fear? You know, I must be like this. I must try and be a good enough mom. I, I have to be seen to do this and I have to have my nails done and I have to wear this kind of stuff, you know, oh, no, that's kind of fear-driven behaviour of society is telling me I'm not good enough unless, you know, that's not true. Yeah. You know, go for go for the love, like kind of who am I? What do I care about? What do I want to wear? Like, do I care if my nails are done or not? You know, yeah. is it really me? 
And if it is, fine. If you love having your nails done, fine. If you don't, that's fine too. There's no, <laughs> it's up to us. Does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, no, it, it's a food for thought really for me because where you said, well, what am I expecting from myself? What am I, what do I expect? I don't know. The, it to be and I think you know deep down I think I this is what I expect for me to be in a situation where I'm you know um whilst they're young at least as sort of stay-at-home mum I'm I'm there uh, for them after school um and but I'm not it can't be so every other weekend I make it really special really good quality time together Mm-hmm. And that's how I make up for it, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, because I do think, I'm not sure it's guilt, but I, I do sort of think, you know, it's a shame that they are in uh, after school care and um, and this. So, yeah. So do do I think to myself, well, I will spend that time, you know, going to see a friend. That just, I just, it just doesn't sit well with me. When, you know, my children don't, and well, in my opinion, spend enough time with me. So I, I, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, it is expectation, but would I do it any different? No, probably not. Probably not for now, as you say, yeah. as, as time moves on. So probably. Well, and I also like to think, you know, we come back to the hot air balloon, is I sort of see it like a jigsaw puzzle that. You know, all the different pieces there might be slightly different sizes. Your children will be a huge piece. Obviously, our partner will be a big piece if we have one. Um, hobbies and interests and friends. And so it's sort of just almost literally drawing that out is quite a good exercise. I think I have a similar one in my book, but since then I've made it more of the hot air balloon idea. And if you challenge yourself to actually draw it, you know, your sort of balloon or draw it as a circle, we're coming back to that pie chart. It's sort of about saying, you know, if it was, if I drew it and actually I realized that 90%, you know, way more real time than I'd realized is given to my children, who actually, there is some space to put in a coffee with a friend. And I don't think I'm fundamentally taking much away from them. You know, if you had that jigsaw puzzle, there'd be a lot of pieces there and they might be small, but they could be important. And to have them missing would be sad, you know. So if you're thinking, well, that friend might be just a small piece, but they're an important piece. Yeah. And even if it was only once every six months, I am going to make the time to give them a call because yeah. if the piece wasn't there, I would have lost part of who I am. And I don't want to, you know, some people's balloon, they might, if they were coloring it into all different colors, you know, you kind of imagine it. Mm-hmm. I will have people come to me and say, well, it's just all my partner and children, you know, that's it. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, okay, well, and that's fine if you're happy with that. But really, is it two colours? You know, there's a rainbow kind of, you know, what else is in there? And I, that's what I realised again, as we are the military family, and I realised that two pieces that hadn't been there since I was a child was um, ballet. I love ballet dancing. I love it. And I, and it's so important. And I've thought to kind of the classes change, the teachers leave, but we've just had a new teacher. And about the last six weeks, Monday afternoon at two o'clock, you know, the children are in school. I work for myself. So I've worked out my diary to say two o'clock on a Monday, I do an hour of ballet. And it's a, it's a piece that that wouldn't be in your jigsaw puzzle, maybe, but it's in mine. 
And then the other thing would be playing in a brass band, which again, it's not sexy to other people, but on a Thursday night, I go and I play tenor horn in a brass band because again, it coming back to those needs, it meets all those needs of certainty, variety, connection, significance, you know, and it gives me that oxygen and it fills that peace. So it's sort of just trying to get to know yourself and go, no, is it a big piece? Is it a little piece? If it wasn't there, would I miss it? Does that, yeah. That Even if it's a sort of temporary, because in my mind now, what just popped up is um, uh, netball. I'd love to kind of join a team and just do a season. Maybe like, you know, when I mentioned temporary, you know, can can someone look at, because it's generally in the evenings. This is um, awkward for me because of childcare. So, but maybe it wouldn't be awkward if I just, look. I'm, I'm just going to do 10 weeks of this. And, and that's it. And that'll little feel, you know, that'll be a part of things. Yeah, a friend of mine plays netball and I went back with her at the beginning and just laughed and laughed. It was like being a 14-year-old again. I just loved it. And I didn't have space to put that in my jigsaw because I thought, well, I've got ballet, I've got brass band. I won't, you know, that's kind of getting a bit much, but I loved it. It was great fun to go just once and, and she carried on. So yeah, netball, you know, <laughs> she goes. It's coming back to those six needs again. If it really yeah. brought you that connection with people, that variety, that growth, that significance, you're in a team, you know, those, if you can meet all six in one go, and often things like team sports, choirs, bands, you know, the Military Wives film is about to come out, talking about the Military Wives choirs, and Gareth Malone, you know, it's due out this month, and the reason that was so critical, speaking as a military wife, was because meeting those emotional needs in one go, joining something like a choir, is just really helped to lift especially with all that shared experience. And I was watching that whilst I was writing the book that, you know, it all sort of comes together and now the film's coming out. So it's quite amazing to think I was living through what they were living through at the time that that was, that it was filmed, the Gareth Malone series was filmed. Wow. And your book actually, isn't it? 50, is it 50% of the profits go to? Yes. Yes. The counselling charities. Yeah. The counselling charities. Yeah. Um, so, right, and let's look at uh, the next question. What have I got here? Uh, cover that one, cover that one. Uh, another one for me is, um, I find it difficult with relationships when, <laughs> to me, they're asking too much of me, uh, whether that be to do s- too much, to help them too much with X, Y, Z, to be there for them too much. Too, something is too much and I need to, you could say, well, okay, you need to set boundaries. But this is where my issue is, comes in. I get tired of setting setting boundaries and maintaining them um if so if i feel like i'm spending too much time on setting boundaries and maintaining them i'm out of there and i don't know if there's a a way of making setting boundaries easier or less time consuming or less exhausting i don't know um but i don't know for example it might I don't know. You could take it as something so simple as making a cup of tea for each other. Where I find 
someone is, you know, finding it normal for them to ask me to make two where for them, whereas they only would make one for me, (laughs) you know, just that unfairness and where I have to step in and say, actually, (laughs) come on, then it's your turn or whatever. And I just thought, have you got like any, I don't know, tips on... (laughs) It's a tricky one. I don't think I've been asked that often. Um, but one thing that's just come to me for some reason, I think like you sort of said it then, is sometimes humour is quite a helpful one. Like if you know your boundary and you are sort of tired of having to reinforce it, there are ways of, of um, from, for some reason, coming to my, my mind, it's not really maybe a boundary thing, but it's sort of boundaries and expectations. Are they interlinked? I think so. I had one that, it's the little comments that I felt I have to whiz around the house and have my house all perfect when certain relatives might be coming over. And I don't know if that's really what you're saying, but it was sort of about then making a joke and just saying, oh, well, you know, you sort of find me as you take me and and kind of putting things out there that say things like, you know, good friends don't judge you on your house or something. They just judge you on when you've got a bottle of wine or, you know, kind of little thing and maybe people call that passive aggressive but it's trying to communicate this is who I am this is what I can offer and this is what I can't you know and so I won't keep overstepping my boundaries because they're my boundaries and I'm gonna maybe not be aggressive about communicating them but I may just have to turn to humor and say sorry you're gonna have to make your own (laughs) it's I'm done you know I don't know. Does that? <laughs> oh, no, time is. I'm going to bed. <laughs> you have to admit your own. No, it's kind of it's sort of self care boundaries. Because again, I'm thinking of. I've just had a client this morning saying that the mum will run around and do everything. She's sort of in her twenties, and she's gone back to the home for a bit. So the mum will sort of run around, but won't accept help do all the cooking, all the rest of it and everything, and then be the martyr going, oh, you don't understand how hard it is having you home, you know. Yeah. I think she has, that's her boundary issue, I think, isn't it? That she's not, she's, you want to take responsibility for what you will do and what you won't. And if, yeah. and if you won't do it, you don't have to be sort of mean about it or do it and then be a martyr. You know, this yeah. mum just needs to say, what's, what are the roles here? You know, what am I happy with? And what am I not? And and try to say, this is who I am. I'm more than happy to do this, but I won't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rather than, yeah, do it and then moan about it. <laughs> yeah, well, my strategy is... Um, yeah, please share. Yeah. <laughs> Learn from you. <laughs> but my, my strategy is, look, if I'm spending too much time on reinforcing boundaries then I'm not gonna see you that's I don't know if that's right or wrong but it is you know at my time I think one one of my things is my time is so precious I've got you know little little time Um, and I don't want to be spending it on that I don't want to be spending it on that and um yes that's right yeah I don't know the specifics of what you're talking about it but the other thing I like to do with people is once you find out their personality strengths which again if people want to get in touch with me it's, it's not difficult it doesn't actually take very long so we could yeah. even do it for fun and have another podcast about it um but your one of your strengths could be creativity and I might sort of challenge you to say I hear what you're saying that relationship really starting to frustrate you and that boundary kind of protecting is getting exhausting 
that you may there might be a creative way that you haven't let yourself think of where you could actually meet your needs in a different way that maybe is you know switch that scenario around and go oh that works interesting you know I don't know whether I suppose I'm thinking of if somebody was coming around to your house and kept staying too long you know then that could be a boundary couldn't it you sort of said I told them I was available for an hour and they keep staying three hours and I then have to make for the children and they're still here and oh do you know what it's not worth it whereas we have to might have to be creative about like shifting the environment shifting the way to do that so that the relationship is one it's just functions in a different way yeah I'd love to kind of find out more about that because children in a way push push your boundaries yeah 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 Yeah, so that might be useful there as well (laughs) yeah um okay next uh question um did I ask the one about yeah boundaries um is there like I'm thinking you're gonna say no there isn't any set thing about this but is there any set number of close relationships um you I ideally would have number of acquaintances uh close family members um or does it really just depend on your type of personality because I know I, I I personally know I don't need a lot of um uh time from anyone um um and I know other people I see do need a, a lot of time with people to talk about things to um do things with does it just depend does it just depend on who you are yeah it I suppose a couple of things are coming to my mind the first one is that love and fear again that again it could be what are your drivers you know and if you you know some people could be keeping all those relationships because of some sort of I'm only uh, it comes back to that self-worth that that basket you know am I good enough so if people are quite honest with themselves it could be that a lot of those relationships are quite superficial but it's about fear driven you know that inner child didn't feel good enough unless she was in the but for others it may not be that at all it's not a fear driven thing they just love spending time with all those different people so it's sort of that's the fundamental way that we make our decisions you know um so if I feel I have the close connections that I need and they're the ones that matter most to me then there's no number on that is there it's all ten. and then the other thing I'd say since I've done the strength psychology element um there's one of the natural strengths it's called relationship building and it's not one of my top seven um it's it's quite close there but that's people that are really energized by they so strength is about what energizes you what you would naturally do kind of almost all the time you just can't help it this is who you are and some people are very energized by relationship building so they just love making new friends they love going to places with new people it's again and that would fit in with that love it's not about fear it's about love this is Mm. it makes me who I am I feel really kind of upbeat and you know so that would just be that in overdrive I have seen that come between couples you know because you'll almost say well am I not enough like am I you're constantly out there meeting new people and wanting to like one example that couple were on a holiday and the husband's down in the bar like meeting new friends and having a great time come on let's stay here the kids are fine you know and 
that was quite a difficult kind of relationship counseling scenario, not just for that reason, but for many of the reasons. But it, it kind of that was one of the strength differences between them. That yeah. she was there going, I just don't understand it. I feel like I'm not enough because you're constantly there wanting to make new friends. Whereas he was a naturally very gregarious person and that sort of hadn't understood how that appears to his wife. Like, you know, I'm right here and all you want to do is meet all these new people on holiday. So that was a bit, that was in overdrive for him and it, he found it hard to control that and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, so it comes down to how different we are. Yeah, and I suppose I'm just thinking of it like a scenario now. Like, so when, so when I, I'm out as well, I don't, feel it necessary to perhaps stay in my group that I've gone out with and I will go off and talk to new people and etc and I think some people um within that group would expect me to stay there and only talk to them and you know and it's it's tricky isn't it to manage all these situations um yeah interesting but interesting but tricky um let's see let's see talked about boundaries the next thing is it, it sort of ties in with relationship but it's sort of in a thing in general as well um people will often sort of come up with uh anecdotes or, or sayings or things that um will highlight the situation as, as being correct or a correct way to handle the situation. And I kind of look at it and think, well, where is the line that that statement stops being true? I'll just give you an example to kind of... So I was listening to a podcast and he was saying, right, um, you know, I, I'm not offended by swearing. I'm, there will be swear words on my on my podcast and um he said um the you, you know he he doesn't have a problem with that and he said it's other other people's problem or that have a problem with that he said well why why would they have a problem with it he said um it's just words it's just sounds um and he said, I think he was saying, he was asking his sister, well, why do you have a problem with, with swearing? And she was saying, well, it's, you're, you're not intelligent when you swear or something. And he says, well, that's, that's just it, isn't it? You, you, someone's told you when you were young that unintellectual people swear. <laughs> so that's your problem, not my problem. I, I'm going to swear to emphasize certain points in my podcast. That's what he was saying. But yeah. then, obviously, <laughs> which I, I don't have a particular issue with with swearing. But then, you know, I start to run through scenarios in my head about this, what he said. And I think he's right to an extent. But where is the line? Because then if, what, what if the swearing was saying, was being personal, like, well, F you or, or whatever is that the line where it becomes not true that you know actually it's not the other person's problem it's your problem now you're you're it's yeah. you know you're not just swearing randomly in a sense you're just swearing at somebody or towards somebody or is it when your sounds your words create um I don't know a uh 
incite violence or you know where is this line where suddenly it's not the other person's problem or issue it's it's that person that's doing it it's their issue you know do you, am I kind of yeah it's I think what we're sort of hearing is when is a when is it a healthy relationship between my opinion your opinion um you know that's your interpretation that's not my interpretation and there's a new law on you know, coercive control and toxic and kind of um, quite bullying behaviour, actually. I don't know if that's really yes, where you're yeah, going, yes. but it can become. And that the difference with that is when it becomes. So I will be often exploring, you know, if I've got couples, what's your truth? As in, what do you hear? You know, what do you feel? And what's your truth? And you could say, well, I said this. I intend for you to hear that. Well, that's what I heard. So, you know, that's my truth. Well, my truth is that I didn't, I didn't want you, I didn't mean it like that. Mm. So that, but that could be accepting that there's your truth, your truth, and then the truth, which is that yeah. both of you can be right at the same time, even though ultimately maybe someone else would have a completely different opinion of their truth of that situation was, but whatever, you know, we're all entitled to our opinion. Mm. But I think what I'm, seeing more of is a oft sadly is can be quite narcissistic relationships and toxic and coercive control where it becomes that's not your truth you shouldn't feel like that I didn't mean it like that therefore you're wrong and you don't feel that way because I didn't want you to and it's like but I do feel this way yeah. well you shouldn't you know and that because that's about no empathy no acceptance that of what your intention might be heard differently and therefore they are allowed their truth as to how they felt and what they heard just mm -hmm. hear the difference so yeah. and that's very worrying when I hear um or when couples are in and a lot of people listening to this you know I think it's a growing issue and it can be very hard to realize that you're in a toxic relationship mm -hmm. with a narcissist and that could be somebody at work coming back to what you said about work mm -hmm. it could be um in family families can be siblings parents or the you know or it could be in couple relationships where you're trying to you're sort of always thinking oh is it me like maybe I haven't said it right or maybe I shouldn't feel this way or maybe I've misinterpreted it or oh I don't know you know and that would be a very an empath so someone who's very empathetic is always almost trying to do the right thing but if you're in a toxic relationship you'll never do the right thing they'll always find a way to go oh no now I'm upset because you did this and it's toxic because mm. They'll always twist it, you know, and that's yeah. very scary. Like it's not, it's not fair. Like something's not fair. Like I don't know. Like for example, this example. So, uh, so if one person was saying yes, and when I come home from work, you can look after the children while I go to the gym twice a week, um, and the other person said, oh yes, oh okay, yeah, okay, that's great. I can I can do that as well, and you can help me that way as well. Um, and then the other person goes, um, well, that's just tit for tat. You know, just turning it around something. Yeah, yeah. Well, isn't that fair? Isn't that, you know, if you go out to work and I'm working at home looking after the children all day, isn't that fair? No, that's just tit for tat. Really? <laughs> and it's just... I, that's a tough one because we, my husband and I, I'll be honest, sometimes you know I sort of think let's not play the game of who's got it harder game you know and again once you notice there's a bit of a pattern sometimes 
we don't often do it, thankfully, but especially now we realise that it's a game you can end up doing. Oh, my day's been so hard. Well, I've been at home, with, you know, when the children were younger, maybe played it a bit more. Who's had the hard time? You know, who deserves the break the most? Well, and it's sort of that the win, if I win, you know, you have to lose. Or if you win, I lose. And we're not talking about that, are we? We're talking about a win-win. Like, why are we talking about a win-lose? Why are we battling? It's not if you win, I lose. And if I win, you lose. Mm. Let's be win-win. You know, we've both had a hard day. Let's try and be as honest as we can about where we feel out of 10. You know, coming back to those scaling questions. How do you feel out of 10? That's where the reason I like those is that it sort of gets you out of the whole how do you feel? How's your day gone? You know, blah, 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 where are you at? It can be hard to, well, how are you doing out of 10? Uh, mm. Not a five. Okay. Well, what would help? What would make you a six or a seven? I don't know. You know, could I go to the gym? That might help. Yeah. You know, what would help you be a six or a seven? Don't feel like the gym, but if, like maybe I could go tomorrow. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's sort of trying to just say, yeah. we're in this together. How can I be most helpful? What do you need? You know, how are you feeling? Just be a bit more listening talking communication not take things so personally yeah I can I can do this you can do that for me it's fair it's helping each other basically yeah 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 (laughs) it takes that effort doesn't it trying not to get trapped in the games games people play there's a book by that name (laughs) is there yeah 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 it's a quite a famous sort of relationship book and the other one is the parent, adult and child. We can be in these three emotional states. So yeah. sometimes, you know, adult to adult is that win-win. Really, I'm okay, you're okay. Mm. But what can happen is, oh, you should this and be quite parental. Either either nurturing and sort of a little bit patronizing, oh, you know, more <laughs> a bit critical. And then you can become childlike, which is like, no, it's just not fair. I can't believe you speak to me like that. You know, it's like I'm a five-year-old, you know. And you can end up arguing or fighting like a pair of five-year-olds. And you think we're not being very adult at the moment, are we? And again, it's very natural. The thing, you know, it's in us all, but we just have to try and get back to that adult place and say, okay, where's the win-win? Like, what are you saying? What's your truth? I'm listening. Mm. Let's try and be honest, you know, and not just play these games of you should and all that. Mm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You know, I hadn't thought about um, coercive control when I when I thought about this podcast, but it's absolutely it's a big, you know, it's a big topic at the moment, isn't it? It's um, you know, and how do you well, how do you spot that you're in a coercive control relationship, the one being controlled? And it can be very hard. Yeah, and and you get it before you see it, you think that you're in an I'm okay you're okay relationship to begin with because if if somebody is a narcissist and I think there's a scale you know as well so it's one thing to be diagnosed as a narcissist which when does that ever happen I've never I don't because how do you get diagnosed as a narcissist you're not going to turn up and say oh I think I'm a narcissist but the point is you don't know like how do how does the narcissist know that unless and there are tests online that you know am I a narcissist but but why would you think that you are because you think you're right and you think it's a so narcissism is a disorder of empathy you really cannot so first of all it would be do you have what signs of empathy are you receiving from this friend partner whatever and if there's very few, so even these questions like we're saying of, oh, how is your day or how do you feel? Or, you know, there won't be many that 
and or and even and that responsibility so oh I'm not feeling great because well you know you were late earlier on and I was worried where you were. Oh, God, don't be thinking about that. It wasn't my fault I was late. It's because of the bus. And, you know, always defend, always kind of pushing that away, pushing the responsibility. You won't get the, oh, I'm sorry. I was mm-hmm. late. You know, I, I hear, you know, I see how you feel. Or I, you probably won't get that. You'll get defensiveness and justification. So it'll be lack of empathy and a lot of justification. Mm-hmm. And then the person who's the empath, the one that's always trying to do the right thing, will then take it upon themselves and go, oh, okay, yeah, sorry, you're right. I, I you know, I, I shouldn't feel so upset about it. And, oh, yeah, of course, you know, it's not your fault. The bus was late. Whereas actually the truth is, well, they could have said, <laughs> they could have messaged, they could have had an understanding of how you feel. That would be the win-win. Yeah. They're not, they don't always have to make it okay, diminish your feelings and justify their behaviour. Yeah, And it won't seem that extreme at the beginning. It will say, oh, no, it's not a big deal. I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm, maybe there's nothing here. But gradually, the person starts to think, oh, okay, actually, I think this is ramping up, you know. But by then, but I love them. And maybe I do need to work harder. And maybe I am too sensitive. And it's kind of, ah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really controlling. Yeah, it's uh, it must not be a nice situation to 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 find yourself in. Um, I'm just thinking if I've got any more questions on that because it's just um, can is they're two separate things, aren't they? Gaslighting and being a narcissist, but um, and would narcissists typically? employ gaslighting as a I don't know tool in their toolbox um I don't I don't know is a short answer you know this is going more into the realm I guess of a psychologist um uh I suppose I suppose gaslighting is another one to be I don't know um aware of in a relationship that they're not gaslighting um, I think it's probably there's elements of it there. I would say in the relationships I've seen that I've realised or or clients have known when they've come have elements of control and abuse. Yeah, and there pro- there will to to be usually be some indications of sort of gaslighting, i.e., you know, which if those people don't know, it's sort of that person leading to the point where they doubt their own truth, they doubt their own sanity, they start to say. And that, so I will usually hear something like that. I'll be something like, you're not remembering that right. No, you didn't feel that that way. No, I wasn't that late. No, no, you're remembering that wrong. And they'll start to kind of go, but you were. I remember it was three o'clock and I'd expected you at one o'clock. It was, it was two hours. It wasn't, it was 20 minutes, you know. And they start to go, oh, well, they're so adamant that they're right. They're so adamant it's 20 minutes. So it must have been 20 minutes. I, it must, maybe it wasn't two hours. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> It was, you know, categorically they're saying it was two hours and then that person's saying it was 20 minutes and you're like, what's the truth here? There's something odd. This yeah. is not... Well, who's telling Who's... Yeah, and that's when I'm starting to think that's a bit of a red flag. It's kind of, whoa, if the truth, like we come back to, the, you know, your truth, your truth, sort of the truth. If you're not, if you're really battling about what's true, yeah. then you're kind of like, this is just something weird going on here. What? 
you know, there's, you're not saying if that's your truth, I accept that. And it's happening that if that's happening a lot, then that could be gaslighting. Yeah. Because it's like, that's not your truth. That isn't what happened. And that person starts to go, okay, maybe you're right. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Do you not? And then they go, I don't think I know my truth. You know, if it goes on for so, for years, you end up going, I don't, I don't know my own opinion. I, I don't know how I feel because I'm told how I feel. I'm mm. told that I should be okay with that. I'm told that everybody else is fine with this. I'm told that I'm unreasonable. I'm told that I'm stupid or psychotic or, you know, you're told what you are. And by then it's really, really hard to escape. Yeah, yeah, difficult. I mean, I've had uh, sort of things happen like that. Um, and it's to do, I suppose, with, with fairness again and, and, and truth as well. Um, and I'm fairly, I'm a sort of person that's fairly, um, you know, I know, I know my own mind and, um, but even those kind of people can, can be ruled by someone like a narcissist or, or controlling, um, person. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've been in situations where I've had to phone someone and say, is this what happened? Is this, is this what's fair? Is that what happened? <laughs> you know what I mean I'm kind of I just need to check myself you know with someone else that and um so I definitely have been there so oh so tricky I mean mean, we're we're coming into the grounds maybe where this is why relationships are so tricky and yeah different people's truths and and balancing expectations and oh my gosh we need another podcast (laughs) (laughs) program recently on love is blind and I just finished watching it last night it's on Netflix and even as a relationship counts I got to the end of that and thought how would anyone want to be with anyone after watching that program it just makes it seem I don't know I just kind of my goodness me I the whole thing's complicated <laughs> but I thought it's okay just you do your best you know your stuff you, you can you can only do what you can do it's okay because <laughs> yeah it's tricky old world it's yes big big thing well is there anything that we we haven't covered that you want to kind of bring in or talk about or anything like that um I don't think so I think it's just come across that I I love what I do you know and it, it comes down to really how we feel about ourselves and if there's any I love my all those strengths I've talked about, I try and bring them into what I do. So I am creative and empathetic and, you know, here to sort of help anyone in any way I can. So if anyone has um, anything out there they just wanted to talk through, there's, I'm a great believer there's always a way, you know, if I can't help, there's someone who can. So we just need to keep that self-worth going. We deserve to fill up that balloon. We all deserve to feel that we're okay, you know, and that we're enough. So if anyone doesn't feel like that, then I think it's important to talk to someone and to to find out ways to um, meet some of those needs differently. All the things we've mentioned, you know, just I'm okay, you're okay, bring out the best in ourselves and the best in each other. And that's why I love what I do. And and very much in children as well, the sooner we can do that, the hopefully the more healthy relationships you have yeah. as you get older. So, yes, yeah, so I'm here for anyone if they need any help with any of that right and i would urge people to go and um, check out your tedx talk and it's on youtube um, and yeah. 
and it's that covers emotional resilience and it's quite a fun thing yes toilet seat therapy that was a yeah if you've only got five minutes and you just want to need to pop to the loo it's again I'm I didn't know my natural strength at that point. I hadn't done the strength scope, but I realized I came back like kind of creative, you know, who put the toilet on the stage. And I just had it in my mind to think, I think it was coming back from the, when young children and the only place you can go for five minutes is the loo, you know, yeah. and if the parents-in-law are visiting or a lot, you know, the house is full of people and you just sort of think, oh my goodness, I just don't know what, okay. you know, it kind of encompasses everything we've talked about in a way. What It's a process of going through, where am I at? How do I feel? Like, what should I do? What's going on? And it just uses the sink, the mirror, the ceiling, <laughs> the walls, the floor as a little sort of reminder. About 16 minutes or something, isn't it? Strategy of, all oh, right, now how am I going to walk out the door and face the world again? I've just had a few moments to myself and right, off we go, best foot forward. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go and go and check that out. She's got a toilet on the stage and talks about <laughs> the bathroom. And um, yeah, it's on the website if it's hard to find on YouTube. Toilets are terrible. You get lots of toilets coming up. But. <laughs> um, so I ask everyone this: um, What makes life sublime for you? Oh. I have said, well, I think coming back to what lifts filled up my balloon is how I would put it. And it's definitely part of those jigsaws. So I think my number one would be sort of walking up a hill in the sunshine with my children and husband and just, you know, now the daffodils are coming out. Like that's one of my most sublime things is just feeling fresh air. Maybe we're looking over the sea or just a view, you know, that's that's the big one for me. Kind of maybe a flask of tea and a picnic, you know, and it just feels completely sublime and if we've borrowed someone else's dog then even better <laughs> you know got a happy dog whatever so I think that would be I just love that yeah oh, that, that sounds lovely that sounds lovely um so where can people find you and, and contact you briefly mentioned your website what is your website that's a good one to give them yeah stay calm and content.com uh, go on sorry yeah, well, the, the book is you know, linked from there and the TED Talk and everything. But yes, the book's on Amazon as well. Stay calm and content, not more, no matter what life throws at you. That would probably be another easy way to find me. Brilliant. Okay, well, I've really enjoyed our talk and maybe we'll do it again sometime. Um, thank you for your insights. Um, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much.